Okay, tonight we're going back to Philippians chapter 4. We've had our little mini-series here uh, in the book of Philippians chapter 4, 1 through 9. And uh, this is number 3 of the 3. And I want to spend time talking especially about the last phrase of verse number 5. The Lord is near. And I want to put that into the perspective of all that we've been studying here. So, uh, allow me to ask you some questions. It's not a quiz. It's not an exam. You won't be graded on this one. All right? But I will talk to you about some of the things we've looked at. And that way we can have a fresh jump right into that phrase. The Lord is near. All right. Uh, The issue at hand, where we started this study, was based on verse number 6 because of our day and our age, and we know there's a lot of anxiety floating around uh, in our world, in our country. Uh, we have, how many concerns do we start listing? Uh, we're worried about this, or we're concerned about that, we've got this, we've got that, we've got this, we've got that. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of concerns out there. And um, I was thinking how simple it is to say, be anxious for nothing. And I thought, well, that would be a sermon right there. Pastor, just uh, get up here and say, now cut it out, and then we're good, right? Um, But the more I studied it, and that's the joy I have, to dig into the text and and just work it all the way through in in my understanding, the more I, I dug through this passage, the more I realized what a beautiful, beautiful section of trust. If you want one word to write over the entire uh, paragraph from verse 1 through verse number 9. It's just trust. And so Paul wanted to know, what are you going to talk about tonight? I said, give us songs on trust. And so he did that because that's what it looks like. That's what it comes down to. Remember, when we talk about anxiety, the issue at hand is what are we going to do with it? We had for several weeks these two boxes up here. <laughs> They're still here, right? The box you fill with anxiety, the box that belongs to the Lord. Now, you could mix them anyway. Somebody told me this morning after the service that they needed a bigger box. <laughs> and so I said, well, okay, but you're supposed to have what in this box? Nothing. That's what it says. Be anxious for not one thing. Literally in the Greek, not one thing. Nothing goes in this box. Nothing. I know it's hard. Because guess what we're going to do Monday morning? We're going to start filling it up. Why do we do that? We just said, oh, I just heard that message. Um, I hear it around a lot. People talking to me, I sit down for donuts, and they say, you know, that box. I've got a problem with that box. So uh, we're just talking about the box all the time. This box that represents anxiety, the cares, the worries, the things that we can do nothing about, really. And if we try to do something about it, there's a five-letter word that resembles us, and it has to do with the word pride, right? Because we say, I'll take care of this myself, I'll do this myself, I'm not going to give this to God, I'm going to hang on to this for a while. I'm going to nurture it, I'm going to pet it, I'm going to call it a pet name, I'm going to treat it like it's my friend, I'm going to carry it with me everywhere, I'm going to compare it to your problems and see if mine are better. 
We do that with anxiety. And what we're really saying is, I do not trust the Lord with that. I'm not going to give that to the Lord. And we saw this morning from Peter, didn't we? Cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. Casting, remember the image? Fling it. And let go. Right? You don't put a string on it and pull it back. You throw it. Throw it like it's something you don't like, but you don't want. It's a rapid, let it go. Not a, not a slow process. You know, anytime we go slow, we're thinking about whether or not we really want to give it up. We're going through crates and crates and crates of Christmas decorations at our house. We do this every year, and the kids would laugh about this, but we have tubs, big tubs, and the attic has been full. You go by the church parsonage, you see the ceilings bending in. It's crates and crates and crates of Christmas things. We have them in a storage unit in Enid. There's crates and crates of them and everything. I said, this year, that's it. That's it. We're going to get rid of things. The kids are taking them. All right? They're not mine. They're theirs. So what I, I got to fling it in the box. I can't stop and look at it and say, oh, but that was a really cool memory, you know, or something. Because, you know, the minute you do that, guess where it goes? Back in the box. And we do that all the time with our cares. I don't know why. We don't like them. At least that's what we tell everybody. But we play with them all the time. When it says, nothing goes in the box. On the other side of that, the rest of verse number 6, where does everything go? To God. Through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In everything. Isn't that the words you see in your text? Everything. So if there's nothing here, that means this is where everything goes. Not some things here and some things there. But nothing here. Everything here. Does the Lord care about the smallest prayer request? Yes. Does he care about any concern of your life? Absolutely. He cares for you. The scripture tells us that. But we're supposed to cast them in there. And what we found in Peter this morning, real simple, the casting was related to, it's just an action that comes along with the command of the previous verse. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That is the main thing that Peter was teaching. Not about the casting as much as he was. Your humility before God. When you're humble before Him, you're trusting Him. You're letting Him lead the way. You're letting Him meet the needs. You're giving it to Him. You're submitting to Him. And when you do that, casting is a whole lot easier, folks. Because that's the one who you're submitting to. And so, the, the statement that we're looking at here is really an issue of, do I trust him? That's what it comes down to. Do I trust him? Do I trust him? So back to our Philippians passage. That was the issue at hand. And that was also what we were talking about a bit this morning, is the challenge. For us, that's the challenge. We say, well, this casting thing's hard to do. Yes. The anxiety thing is hard to do. Yes. The trusting thing is hard to do. Yes. It's called Christian growth. Right? We're supposed to be maturing, and that's where this all comes together. But what was the Philippians' real challenge? 
there were nine commands in nine verses. Right? All of them were present tense commands. In other words, all of them, Philippians were doing well and just needed to keep on, except one. Remember it, or do we start over? What's that? The verse, yes, verse number uh, five. Let your gentle spirit or your moderation, we saw all kinds of words there, be known to all men. In other words, your reasonable, your appropriate response. Every single command in here was an appropriate thing to do. It was appropriate, in verse number one, to stand firm in the Lord, right? <laughs> yes, obviously. And they were doing a great job. That's what it says, uh, a present tense command, keep on standing firm in the Lord. In verse number two, these ladies had a problem. Verse number three, you were to help them, Philippians. And that was appropriate thing to do. But that was a present tense command. Keep on helping them. I don't know what these ladies were like, but how, why would we need a command? Keep on helping them, unless there might be a challenge there that they might want you to stop. Or they might not be coming along too well on what you're helping them with. And you say, I don't want to help them anymore. But he says, don't stop. They were giving it the reasonable, appropriate response. They were doing it. And Paul brought that out, and that was complimentary. Keep on Helping them. And then we jump down to verse number four, and we found the other two. There were two more commands right there. Rejoice and rejoice. And both times, Paul uses that present tense command. Keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. The simple implication, they were. And I don't doubt that they've done a good job of that. They had a pretty good teacher. When Paul said to rejoice, remember his situation? He was in prison the first time he was in Philippi, and he's writing from prison when he's writing this book. He wore orange all the time. Did you know that? The Apostle Paul saved time. He just painted his uniform orange. Um, but here, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. Keep, they were good at that. So we said, okay, that's not their challenge. And then we jump down to the next command, be anxious for nothing. In verse number 6, and that was present tense too. They were good at this. Really, they were. That, they're, the, they're the model for us to follow. They were anxious for nothing. And he says, keep on that. Keep on being anxious for nothing. Don't stop. You're doing a great job. Matter of fact, let your request be made known to God. The next command. Keep on doing that. They were present tense commands again. Let, keep on letting your requests be made known to God. They had learned how to pray. They were doing a good job. Paul's very encouraged with these people. And then we jump down a little bit further. Where was it? Verse 8. Dwell on these things. That whole wonderful list. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is uh, lovely and pure, and all these great words here. This is an excellent study, verse 8. It's an excellent study. But that's where they set their minds. He said, keep on dwelling on these things. They already were. And that's a good sign too. You want these kind of people around, don't you? Because they're encouraging and they're doing it right and they're doing what's appropriate. Appropriate. 
appropriate. They're doing it perfectly well. And then finally, verse number 9 had the other command, practice these things. And that was also of the same nature. Keep on practicing. Keep on practicing. Because they had heard it. They had received it. They had applied it. They did this before, and they were doing it still. And Paul says, good. All of that is great. It was verse 5 that stood out. And the fact that they were able to do all this in the sight of God, great thing to do. They were able to do it within their own fellowship, great thing to do. But the world didn't see it. Let your appropriate behavior, your appropriate response, your, your reasonableness, all these words, moderation, all the different options you've got there, let it be seen by them, the world, those men out there. And there's a great value in that lesson. Because that's really where I think it comes back to us, too. Um, we were talking this morning, one of the men in the church and I were talking about how wonderful it is to live in Hillsdale, Oklahoma. There's a lot of crazy stuff in this world. And just saying I live right here, there's a comfort to that, isn't there? You just feel like somewhere there's a little isolation, a little bit. I don't mind if we're 30 years behind, if that's what we are. I liked 30 years ago, right? We, we just say, this is a comfortable place. It's not the crazy world of St. Louis or Chicago or whatever. And we say, okay, this is comfortable. I can live in comfort. I can live in comfort. But see, that sometimes is the very thing that hurts us, too. Because we can work as a congregation in a lot of mature ways, like the Philippians, and be doing it in God's eyes according to the appropriate way, in each other's eyes in an appropriate way. But he says to them, let it be known to all men. That means it goes outside the building. And that's where it gets challenging. This world does not like, I don't know if you know this, it doesn't like the things of the Lord. It doesn't want the things of the world, or, or the, of the Lord. The, the world doesn't want that. They're, they're doing everything they can to wipe it out. You can't do this, you can't do that. Don't say that, don't say this. Are we going to be allowed to say Christmas next year? You know, those kind of things. We're, we're, we see how it's squeezing and squeezing and squeezing to, to get us to stop proclaiming the Lord publicly, audibly visually, they're going to do their best. And they have for years, by the way, even back to the days of John, he says, men do not love the light. They love the darkness. They want the light out. John chapter 3. They don't want the light. They don't want the light. Because their deeds are evil. Light exposes who they are. But we have a solution for who they are. Don't leave them in the dark. Show them the Lord. Right? That's the answer. They need the Lord. And so if we are going to kind of circle the wagons and pull everything inside and say, well, I'm just going to hide right here because I'm doing what God told me to do and here's my community and this is our comfort zone and we're just going to stay here, we're missing out on verse 5. And the Philippians were doing that too. They had that same address from earlier in the book. Paul says, this is what I do. I'm in prison, right? 
I'm under guard. But because of that, the whole Praetorian Guard got to hear it. And then he says in chapter 2, he says, And you, you are living in a crooked and perverse generation. And you're supposed to shine as lights in that world. So I, I contend with you that that's the one thing the Philippians needed help with. Is that they were comfortable in a lot of ways and doing really good. But that command came out. Start right now. Urgently. Eris tense. Urgently. This is what he says. Let your gentle spirit, let your appropriate response, let your moderation, let your gentleness, Tyndale, let your softness, I love that, be seen by all men, be known by all men. Get it out there. Get it out there. Get it out there. Now, that leads us to that last phrase. Because many times when we step out, outside of the comfort zone, out into the mission field, you know, we have a little sign down above one of the doors. It says, you are now entering the mission field or something like that. When you go outside the doors of this church. When we take a step out, it's not easy. You're stepping into a hostile environment. That's why we love the fellowship of the church. The fellowship of the church, is, it boosts us up. It encourages us. It helps us to train in righteousness. We, we talk together in Sunday school. We teach the same lessons we've heard for how many years? And we keep going over it and over it and over it. And we're not tired of hearing it. We love it. And we soak it in and, and it refreshes us. And you know the difference. And then you come to Monday morning. And now you're out there. How many times does it feel like you're alone in a world like this? How many feel, times do you feel like, wow, I, I better not be too godly. They might not notice. <laughs> I, I was like that in high school. I'll tell you the truth. I was the best at the incognito Christian. I wanted to be a chameleon, really. Wherever I was, I wanted to match my environment. I, I just wanted to, to just kind of blend in and nobody see me. And that was my goal, to get through high school without anybody knowing anything about me. So I never talked. Literally. They thought I was the shyest kid in the school. Because I wouldn't say anything because I thought, oh, they'd give me away. I was Nicodemus all over again. The secret disciple. Joseph of Arimathea. I was one of those kind of guys. I never said a word about my faith. Didn't want to. Scared to do so. Because I went to a school where all of my other graduates that graduated with me, there were 600 in my class. They're all in prison, I'm sure. I mean, I was very sure that's where they were all heading. And I didn't want to be in that group. So I hid myself. You know the feeling, don't you? So many times we do this. We say, I, I, don't, I don't want to step out, Lord. It's, it's intimidating. It's scary. It's evil. It's perverse. You call it perverse, right? So why should I like it? I don't want to be there. I don't want to be out in the public. That's why the end of verse number 5 is so appropriate. Paul didn't have four extra words just to stuff on the page. And say, let's see, where can I put these words? Let's put them here. It wasn't that at all. This was such a perfectly timed phrase. In the midst of anxiety and letting your testimony be known, he said, the Lord is near. 
Think of how wonderful that sounds. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Let's work on this phrase a little bit here tonight, because there's two ways you can look at it. Some commentaries treat it as near as far as timing is concerned, as if the Lord is near to coming. He's soon to be here. And do we think that's true? Yes, we do. Uh, we look at the newspaper and say, oh, he's got to be coming soon. You know, they did that in the 1930s, too. But that's a different story. They, they did that in the 600s, yes. They did that in Paul's day, yes. They looked at the world around them and said, the Lord's got to be near. I don't know how this world could last ten more years. And that's what John thought. That's what Peter thought. That's what Paul thought. They all thought, it's got to be soon. Look at how wicked this world is. And we've only gotten better at wicked, but we've gotten closer to the Lord being near. So it's near. We know that's true. And if it's another thousand years away, we're still near. Because the Lord measures different than us, doesn't he? What's that phrase that Peter says? Uh, the Lord, here it says a thousand years, a thousand years is one year. That's his calendar. Right? So in that case, he's only been gone two days. Right? He likes to do things on the third day, by the way. Just a thought. I won't, I won't do anything with that. Alright, so, the timing. The timing, the timing. Some people say that's what it is. The other one says, no, it's near in proximity. In other words, he's near. He's near. And this is the one I'm going to camp on right now, because I do believe he is near in timing. But proximity, I think, is what's going to help us understand that. Matter of fact, even the word, engus, the word near, I told you about that one when we were at the last chapter of Revelation. It kept saying, the Lord is near, the Lord is near. Remember the picture, if you can, of the kid holding the teddy bear in his hand? And he's got such a death grip on that thing that it's strangled at the neck and he's holding it. What can you slip in between the child and the teddy bear? Nothing. Because he's got such a death grip on that thing. That's the word that you're looking at again. That's the word that the Lord is here. He is near. How many times in the midst of challenges we think the Lord is way over there? Hey, Lord, i got a problem! Look! Come! Scripture says what? He's right there. How much difference does that make? You're going out into a world. Does he know what it's like out there? Yes. Where is he? Oh, he's near. You have anxiety issues. Something's really bothering you. You just can't let go of that thing in the box, right? Where is the Lord? He's right here. He's near. What precious, precious truths lie just in that phrase. Take it with every single one of these commands, every single one that we have looked at here. Start with this one in verse number one. Stand firm in the Lord. How much easier is it to stand firm when the Lord is standing right next to you the whole time? Does that encourage you? You say, well, I could do this. 
He's not saying do it by yourself. Stand there. The Lord is near. Look at verse number uh, 3. Help these women. Help them. Okay, Lord. I'm going to go out there and help them. But as you go, guess who's going with you? The Lord is. Because he's near. The Lord is near. And he's standing there alongside as you're helping. I can't think of a better way to look at that. So many times, and literally, I'll tell you this is true. As a pastor, when somebody's having a problem, and they come to me, and they really don't want to give up that problem, but they know I know about it, and so they're going to come to get counseling. Here's the way it usually goes, just so you know. So you know the strategy, too, because I'm on to it. They want to paint me into a corner and say, you can't help me. How many times I heard that? There's there's this one lady in another church. There's a long story, but she was trying to divorce her husband because she wanted another guy in the church. All right, that's terrible. All right, that's terrible. And she came to me and she, she says, well, Pastor, you just don't understand what it's like to be divorced. So I'm supposed to say what? Oh, you win. No, I said, do I have to get divorced to understand what the Lord says about your problem? So many times they say, you don't understand. You don't have the experience. You don't know what the answers are. You don't have the wisdom for this. You don't have the strength to solve this. You can't, you can't, you can't. But who's standing right beside you? The Lord is near. Will they dare say that to the Lord? You don't understand? You don't have the strength? You don't have the wisdom? Nobody would say that to the Lord. The Lord is near. How wonderful is that when you're helping somebody? You're not doing it by your wisdom, your strength. Trust Him. Move on through the list. Every one of these, as you can see, is going to work great. Rejoicing in hard times? Paul and Silas in stocks after being beaten at midnight, they're praising the Lord. Why? Because they knew he was near. The Lord didn't say, I'll see you when you get out. The Lord was with them, and they knew it. So they could rejoice. Even in the midst of something terrible, the Lord was with them. My favorite psalm, which a lot of yours is favorite too, is Psalm 23. And the beautiful thing about that Verse number four, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Most people say, ooh, that's creepy, that's scary, I don't want to talk about that one. That's tough stuff. I will not fear, for you are with me. What a beautiful thought that is. You are with me. You are with me. I can rejoice in the darkest places. I can walk through the darkest places because the Lord is with me. I can rejoice all the way through it. Twice over, verse number four, because the Lord is with me. I think, how encouraging is that? Jump down to verse number six. Anxiety? Filling that box up? Remember, the Lord's with you. You don't have to throw it far. I mean, this isn't like the Hail Mary 100 yards down the field, is it? There's always that right there. How far do you have to hand it to him? He's right there. 
And the whole time you're playing with it, he's waiting. His hands are like this. Give it to me. Give it to me. Can you hear him say that? <laughs> Drew says all the time, right? He said, give it to me, Drew. Give it to me. I think it's kind of funny. One, one illustration I've seen years ago was, was that of, of somebody with a, a long string in their hand. And during the sermon, they were slowly tying it into knots. And sometimes you do that. You, you play with things with your hands if you're fidgety or if you're that kind. I can tell who does that when they come and sit with me at my table in the office because I have four coffee cup little rubber holders on the table and I just have them scattered around and there are some who will put them in squares or they're, they're stack them all up neat or everything. The whole time they're talking, their hands are moving. You know those kind of people? Now you're never going to touch them, are you? You're going to go there and say, I'm not touching that. That's a pastor trick. But, but I, I notice how they, they will stack them up tall, and then they'll put them in patterns and everything else. This guy took the string, and the whole time he's tying it up, tying it up, tying it up while he talks. And then he says, now here's how we do it. This is our life, and these are our problems. And then in the end, we just hand the Lord this wad and say, would you fix it, please? All the while, he's saying, just hand it to me. Give it to me. Just give it to me. Don't be anxious for that. In everything, just give it to, give it to me. Why? Because he's there, isn't he? The Lord is near. How comforting is it for that? Whatever the concern is. There was a friend of mine. We were um, traveling to go to a dinner. Uh, he and his wife, me and my wife, we were all in his van. And we were heading down a country road in Indiana. We didn't get very far. And the ball joint in his front wheel just boom. And you know, if you've ever seen that, the wheel's like this. You love that one, don't you, Drew? And the wheel's way out like that. And so it skids off the road, and he's sitting there out in the middle of nowhere. We're supposed to be going to dinner, right? And he's standing out there like this. Hmm. That always helps to look at it. And he's just looking at it. And I walk up to him in a funny way. I said, I'm watching you. <laughs> I just thought that would help the moment at the time. But uh, how many times do we take on those anxieties and not realize, the Lord's right here. The Lord's right here. Why do we let them consume us? Let your request be made known to God. He's got an open ear and an open hand says, let him know. I think it's great to put next to this verse, the Lord is near. Jump down to verse number 8. All these wonderful things you're supposed to dwell on. How hard is that? In a world that's giving you everything that's the opposite. Constantly bombarding you with junk. The Lord lived in a world that was full of junk too. He lived among a lot of people that thought junk and lived junk all the time. He knows. <laughs> and matter of fact, if you read Peter, chapter 3 of Second Peter, how often it says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. He knows how. He knows how. And he gives illustration after illustration after illustration. Take Lot, for example. Would you trade places with Lot? He lived in a bad community. Very bad community. And he was vexed to his soul every single day. And you say, well, why didn't he move? 
we think like flannel graph. Just pick him up and move him, right? If he was living in our day and age, he'd say, well, I can't. I live here. I've invested my money into this house. I've got my job. You know how it is. We said, 14 reasons why I can't move. Job had him. But he's there nevertheless. And the Lord says, you know what? I know how to rescue him. I know how to get him out of there. And every single story, if you go through chapter 3, is a picture of that. The Lord knows how to rescue. The Lord knows how to rescue. And so when we're living in a tough world, and he says, all I want you to do is dwell on the things with your mind that are good and pure and true. And just just do that. And you say, but Lord, it's hard living where I do. He says, I know. But remember, I'm near. I didn't leave you to do this yourself. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how easy it can be. If you want to call it easy, think about him and you've covered the list. Right? Because he is true and he is lovely and he is pure and he is honorable and he is of good repute and he's excellent and he's worthy of praise. If you just think on him, you've got the list covered. Dwell on him because he's near. Beautiful. I love this. Paul, you should have put this after every single one of these. Practice these things. Practice, 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 practice. You said, but I'm tired of practicing. It's hard to practice. The Lord is near. He's helping you remember what you heard. He's helping you to apply what you heard. He's helping you to grow in what you heard. He's there. From what I understand, Drew, you're not supposed to lift heavy weights without somebody near, right? Because that could be dangerous. If you're practicing spiritual things, it's great to know the Lord is near. And that's the beauty of this passage. You're saying, but this is hard work. Yes, it's hard work, but he's with you. He even said at one point, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Right? How many fit in a yoke? Is this too hard? No, it's two, right? If the Lord's in the yoke with you, think of how much easier this job's going to be. If the Lord's in the yoke with you, if anybody's fighting, guess who it is? It'd be me. I'm the trouble, not him. He says, learn of me. Learn of me. Anytime you see the word practice, Realize you're not in it by yourself. This is not a solo event. Never is for a Christian. He is there with us. He's near. He's near. He's near. Keep practicing. He's near. He's near. That helps. All of these things are true, and especially when you have to step out into the world. And that was back to verse number 5. Especially when you have to let it be known to all men. If you are practicing the presence of the Lord in all these things, how much easier is it to step outside the door knowing He's with you? You're not going by yourself, are you? He didn't say, no, I want you to go to Africa all by yourself. No. You know what? He goes to Africa too. So. I, I, I'm going to send you to your workplace. And you know how rough that is. You go down to work tomorrow. And I'll see you when you get off. No. He goes with you. Whenever you're out there, he's there. Because the Lord is near. 
You see how precious those little words are? This is what I want to show you. Every single verse, I've been looking at this for a little bit, and I said, well, I just didn't notice this until recently. In verse number one, he tells them to stand firm. It's a command. And, you know, they were doing that, but keep doing it. Keep doing it, right? It's a command. I want to show you something. Verse 3, it's a command. Verse 4, it's a command. Verse number 5, it's a command. Verse number 6, it's a command. Twice. There's two commands. Verse number 8, it's a command. Verse number 9, it's a command. All of these things are, this will happen, is because you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to do this, supposed to do that, supposed to do that. The only problem with commands are, we might not do them. A command is always balanced in the idea that there is disobedience potential here. I, I don't like to say that, but anytime it says do this, our spirit usually wants to say don't. <laughs> exactly. That's our struggle. Now, command, 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 command. There are two other passages in this thing that also say this. Uh, verse number 7 the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See that word, will? That comes as a result of something else. That will, that will. We, we, we set it off as, well, it could happen. The peace of God surpasses, it will guard, it will guard. That's what we look forward to. The end of verse number, um, where was the other one? i got to find it now. Oh, right there in verse number, where'd it go? Oh, I wrote it down. Verse number seven. Seven, yes, and verse nine. The God of peace will be with you. There it is. I knew it was in there. I just couldn't figure out, where did I put that? No, I didn't put it there. It's there. The God of peace will be with you. Now, if I say, I will be with you, you have to trust that, don't you? Because that's a, a future concept. It's, we're, we're anticipating in the future it's going to be true. The commands, they're anticipating that you will obey. Now, here's what I saw. All of these things are anticipating something except one phrase. And that one phrase is, the Lord is near. It's like the anchor to it all. Everything else is, okay, we've got to obey. Or, okay, he's going to be there. And we've got confidence and we've got hope and we've got trust based on what he has said if we do it. He's going to do this. But this one phrase stands alone. It doesn't say the Lord will be near or the Lord might be near, but it says the reality, the Lord is near. One statement that stands like a rock in the midst of all of this. Isn't that so cool to see? I said, wow! So often we wrap ourselves around all the other peripheral things where this is the solid center. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. That's lesson number one. If we started all over in our series, that should be sermon number one. The Lord is near. So now you know what to do with anxiety. And now you know how to go out into all the world. Because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. 
I love the center of it. And that's what I see. As I've been putting this together, I said, oh, Lord, that's cool. In other words, our Christian life is primarily theological. We make it everything else, don't we? But it should be centered on the Lord. First and foremost, understanding who he is and where he's at. He is the Lord. I like that phrase. And he is near. Those are principles that we need to learn. We need to work with that. We say, okay, now I get it. This is the value of it all. The Lord is near. And the blessings that come from that? Wow. Where do you start? Well, let's go to those two verses we just talked about. Verse 7. Here's blessing number one that comes along with this. And the peace of God. The peace of God. Which surpasses all comprehension. Much of this we don't understand, nor could we. But he does. His peace, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What are the two things that anxiety works on? The heart and the mind. The heart and the mind. When I had that stress test, they could have hooked me up to any machine and it was my heart and mind they should have measured. Because... I was anxious. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know why they needed two nurses to watch me do it. Concerned me. And so they hook you up and they start you running on that thing. And it's like, well, what's this going to do? What's going to happen? Am I going to feel something suddenly grab me in the chest? Am I going to collapse? Their goal is to make me what? Set off their machines, right? I mean, this is one of those competitions. I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to set off their machines. They wanted me to, because they wanted to know how much I could handle. The heart and the mind, the heart and the mind, the heart and the mind. We go out into the world, the heart and the mind, the heart and the mind. Who's going to guard it for you? He is. But how often do we think that's our job? I have to take care of myself. I've got to protect myself. I, 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 the Lord is near. He guards Can you trust him? Okay. Try verse 9. You say, well, that one's the easy one. Verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. There it is. The peace of God will guard your heart. The God of peace will be where? With you. Isn't that cool? With you. Oh, I love it. That's very useful down here, isn't it? It's with you. Isn't that the promise that he gave at Christmas time? Well, we call it Christmas time. But the message, the gospel message to the, the, the shepherds and all the others, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, as believers, where is he? He's with us. Isn't that great? I love it. The, the word for peace is iro in the root word. Iro means to join together. And it means to join it together in such a way that it operates correctly and most efficiently. And I would add the word quietly too, but that's a different thing. I only say it that way because every time I explain this, it's, it's like this. You take a transmission, and if you've ever opened one up, they're kind of scary in there, Drew. 
you've got all these gears, little wheels and gears and wheels and gears and wheels and gears, and they have to all mesh correctly. When you put that shift down, it moves them, but they mesh correctly. And when it does that, your car runs the best, it runs efficiently, and it doesn't run noisy. If you ever get them out of place, you know what noisy means. It shakes everything in your body, your teeth, your ears, everything just, what is that sound? You're grinding metal wheels together, and it's a terrible racket, and the car doesn't work right. This word, Iro, is joined together correctly. The result is peace. That's how that word works. We think peace is sunshine and hammocks and lemonade. And the kids are gone. That's peace. God says peace is when everything's put together in the right place. Because Jesus Christ died for us, we can have peace with God, right? Put together in the right place. This is a beautiful picture. He can take our minds and our hearts, which get so wrapped up in problems, and he says, I can guard them with peace. I can put them in the right place. Do you trust me? And I am the God of peace, and I'm with you. Do you trust me? Oh, what precious words these are. These, this is what's in our text. That's what we're looking at. The Lord is right here at our hand. We don't have to go looking for Him. He's already here. His goal is to make it right. And that's what He's doing in our hearts and in our lives and our minds. Here's the point. I, I make two of them. Simply this. Number one, in the struggle, we are not alone. That may sound simplistic after everything else we've talked about here, but it's important because so often we feel like he's forgotten us. But he's here. We are not alone. Never are we alone. And here's point number two. I want to add this. The struggle is not forever. It feels like it, but it's not forever. It's not forever. My mom and dad had a garden. Growing up, we were six kids. We were hired. No, we weren't even hired. We were required hands. When it came to picking green beans, guess who went out to pick the green beans? Well, these rows were six miles long. To a kid, that's what it looked like. On a warm summer day, about 75 degrees, and that's what I thought warm was back then, this mile-long row of green beans needed pick. It was only about 75 feet, but it just felt huge. And we're going to be here until we're old, picking green beans. And that's what it felt like, just going through there, one by one. It's a forever thing. It never ends. It never ends. It never ends. See, I still have a problem with it. I have never given that out of my box, is that anxiety of green beans picking. I just, ugh. It just gets me. But here, when we look at this kind of thing, we think it's forever. This pain is forever. This challenge is forever. This this issue is forever. Where's it going to end? I've got to do it more. I've got to do it more. I've got to do it. The struggle goes on and on. We say it's long. We say it's long. I want to show you some of my favorite verses out of Peter. First Peter, chapter two. Man, if you could see my notes, I have First Peter everywhere, and we don't have time. 
Yeah, I could preach on that. I think we started that when I got here. It took us five years, but that's a different story. First uh, Peter 2. Start with verse 9. Here's a great place to start. But you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's own possession. What are you here for? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We've got to talk about this. You once were not a people, but now you are a people. You once didn't receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Did you hear those two words? That's a Christian in our world. He's an alien. He's a stranger. Abstained from the flesh and lust which wage war against the soul. We're not talking about a little battle. We're talking about a full-scale war. It goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. And keep your behavior excellent among those Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, and that hurts, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, he says, don't quit being a Christian just because you live in an ungodly world. Keep at it. Keep going, keep going. It's a war. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And you say, but I can't go further. I, I, I just can't go much further than this. And this is what he says earlier. Let me take you back a few uh, words. Chapter number one. I'm going to start with verse five. Right in the middle of a beautiful thought. But he says, you're protected by the power of God. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You say, but can't we pull that up a little bit closer? I want the salvation. What he's talking about is getting to heaven and being complete in Christ. He's, how many of us would prefer that tonight? Great. He says, well, it's ready. It's going to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Boy, Peter just put the thumb on the spot. <laughs> he says, do you got trouble? Yeah, we got troubles. Lots, lots, and lots of them. He says, do you know how long they're going to last? A little while. A little while. We don't usually use those words. We don't believe them half the time. When the doctor says, this is only going to hurt a little bit, do you believe him? I don't anymore. <laughs> they tell me that. It's like, ouch! That swab thing. The last time I had to have that, I've had that twice already, that, that COVID test. Before I could go in for this last procedure, they had to do it again. This lady was scratching the top of my skull. It hurt. I had never felt pain like that. And when she was done, I'm sitting there in the chair like this. And she says, Sorry. <laughs> you just about bore a hole through my head. And it's like, sorry. And she, oh, it just hurt a little bit. It hurt the rest of the day. I said, that was a long time. <laughs> I wanted a little bit, like two seconds. Let it get over. We do this with life. We say, that's too long. That's too long. The Lord is near. You're saying, I can't wait to go with you with him. You're already with him. Right? How do we forget that? 
The Lord is near. All right, so that is what I wanted to wrap up with. If you want to, to get a good lesson on all of this, just sit down with First Peter and just read it. You're going to say, Peter, you were sitting next to Paul when you wrote this passage. Because it goes in beautiful tandem together. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He's near. You're in a fiery trial. Trust the Lord. It's, it's distressing. Trust the Lord. Anxiety. Trust the Lord. Standing firm. Trust the Lord. You see it? All the way through. If the Lord is near, the Lord is near. You could put that on your refrigerator. The Lord is near. You could put that on the bathroom mirror. The Lord is near. You could put that on the dashboard right next to your speedometer. It might help, but put it next to the speedometer. The Lord is near. Remind yourself, the Lord is near. That will help with the rest. Okay. There's your lesson for tonight. Heavenly Father, wow, this is good to reflect upon you. To see these things and to remember what you said how precious are they? How precious are they? Lord, in your way, you always do things so beautifully. Would you permanently write that little phrase, the Lord is near, on our hearts? Write it with a, a pen that never fades. Engrave it in these old, chiseled, hard hearts. Put it there where we're stubborn. Put it there when we're fighting against you. Put it there in our minds. Put it before our eyes. May we hear these words. May we see them. May they become something that we write on our hand or as the Jews would put it on their forehead or on the post of their doors. May we put it around everywhere we need to remind us. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Help us with this, we pray. Because you know that's the challenge of our heart, is to trust you. To trust you. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, we'll grow. Grow in our faith. Grow in our, our confidence to step out in an ungodly world and be godly people. Help us in our confidence to do what we're called to do within the body of Christ as well. For all this, we thank you, Lord. And we thank you as well for what you've done for Norma today. Thank you so much for providing for her in this surgery. Pray that you'll continue to keep her safe and free from the complications that might arise. Thank you so much for your love and your care in our lives. Thank you for tomorrow, even though we haven't seen it yet. It's going to be designed by you. And I pray that everyone will wake up in the morning ready to face it because you're there. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.